So let's begin in Genesis chapter 31. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. There comes a point in the life of a believer, someone who's following Jesus Christ, where you start to search for God's will in your life and not your own will. When you put away those childish things and you start to seek or you start to see how short life is and you start to seek to make your life make a difference. You know what I mean? Uh, a desire starts to grow for your life to count. To know God's will and not your own becomes like the most important thing for you. And, I, and you see that happen. And it doesn't always happen when someone first gets saved. When someone first gets saved, they're just so excited to have their sins forgiven. They're like, oh, this is so great. But the Lord works this, this desire in you to know his will. But that, it, it, that's where we hit like this roadblock sometimes is how do we know the will of God? How do I find God's will for my life? That's what we're going to talk about today. Number one, it has to be according to God's word. God's will is revealed in his word. So in everything that we say today, that's the overarching umbrella is that the Bible has to be the most important thing for finding God's will. It has to govern your search for God's will. So we're going to be in the Word today. We're going to be in the Word for the rest of our lives. And that's how the, the will of God is going to come into our lives. But here we see as Jacob has, he, he's been with Laban for those 20 years as we studied last week. It's been a crazy 20 years. He got married. He got tricked. And it was Leah, the ugly one. And then it was, and then, then he get married, Rachel. <laughs> then it was Rachel, right? You guys remember the story. And he, so he's got two wives, and then his wives want him to sleep with their handmaids, and so he's got 12 kids by all these random women. He has had a rough 20 years. And he told Laban last week, let me go home. I want to go back to my, and that's the beginning of Jacob starting to see God's, see God's will being impressed on his heart. And that's what the first step we have to knowing God's will is, is that God gives Jacob a desire to do something, a desire. In Genesis chapter 30, last week, it said in verse 25, it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place in my own country. We see that God was working in Jacob a desire to live in the land of Israel. God works powerfully in our lives by the desires of our hearts. Now, in, if you were in anchor groups this Thursday, we studied how the heart is deceitfully wicked and, and deceitful and lies to us. And so we can't just, as the world says, follow your heart because our hearts can lead us in many sinful paths and many selfish ways. So we can't just follow our hearts. So, so how do I know if the desire of my heart is from God or is from me? How do I know that? In Psalm 37, verse 4, is a really great verse that helps us decipher what we're doing here. Psalm 37, verse 4. You guys probably know this verse. It's really popular. It says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, 
and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And we've talked about this verse a lot of times because you could take it two ways in English. Oh, delight yourself in the Lord and, and he'll give you whatever you want. That's the first way that my selfish heart wants to take this verse. But the real way is when you delight yourself in the Lord, putting him first and his, seeking his heart, getting to know him, he gives you desires inside your heart that are lined up according to his word, according to his character, according to who he is and what he loves. He gives you those desires. He gives you the desires of your heart. So you're following the Lord, you're reading the Bible. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Our responsibility is to seek him for those Christ-like desires. Lord, change what I desire. Lord, show me what to desire. Give me these desires. That's, that's part of our seeking the will of the Lord in, in our life. All right? To seek his strength also to accomplish those desires. Not just, Lord, give me a desire to become a doctor and save the world. No, but give me the strength to do the things you've specifically called me to do. It's a relationship where you go to him for the desire and then you go to him for the strength. In John chapter 15, verse 7 and uh, verse 16, we have a couple verses that, that help us to understand how this back and forth communication works, finding the will of God. It says, if you abide in me, Jesus says, abide, remain. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. And you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. So God works through our desires. It's very important to be conscious of what you desire. It's very important, because it could be from the Lord. And then he says, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to abide in him and ask him for those desires. We're supposed to abide in his word. His word will abide in us. And then we ask him when those desires are in our heart, we ask him to fulfill those desires and we see him come through. Look at the next verse, verse 16. Verse 16 of John chapter 15 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask in the Father, in the, in the Father, in my name, he may give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. What does that mean? I could ask for a million dollars? Maybe. If it's according to God's will. If it's according, if it's in the name of Jesus. That doesn't mean those are magic words. In Jesus' name, amen. Give me a, a yacht. Right? Make the Broncos win in Jesus' name. No. Give us an offense, right? If we had Tebow, we'd be in the name of Jesus. But... <laughs> Air high five. Right. Okay. But no, in Jesus' name means according to his character. And how do you get according to his character to be a real thing in your life? Be in the word. That's, that's how it works. Now, people in the world, they get kind of confused by this. And they're like, what do you mean? How can a book be that real? Like, like be like a person to you guys talk about the Bible like it's an actual person. But Jesus says, I am the word. It is like magic. I don't know how it works necessarily, but he says, when you abide in my word, 
you get to know my character deep down inside, in the heart. And that, char- that doesn't happen in any other way except remaining and coming to the word day after day. And over a period of time, he grows that in us. He said, I did not, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So I have appointed you. And so he's saying he's a plan for your life. He has a will. And he doesn't want this will to be a mystery. None of you should be unaware of what the will of God is for your life. He has appointed you to certain things. He's appointed you. And it's his choice. He wants you to bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And that whatever you ask in the, Father's, the Father in my name, it would, uh, he would give you. See, when we know the will of God and you ask him for the resources to accomplish that will, what's going to be his answer? Yes and amen. BK, you nailed it. <laughs> yes and amen. He is going to answer that prayer. So if he wants you to do something with a million dollars and he's ordained you to do that thing with a million dollars, you can ask him for a million dollars and his answer will be yes. Do you see how important it is? Because you could easily ask for a million dollars for selfish reasons, right? Easily, easily, that could happen just like that. But God says, I've been working in you. I've I've been appointing you. I've been preparing fruit in you through my words so that you'll desire new things so that you'll come and ask me for those desires. So maybe it seems like a crazy vision or an idea to serve people that God has given you. That the will for your life is that you want to be a pastor or you want to be, you know, really Scott has something in you to serve his people. God God can do that. He will give you the resources to do that. I knew when I was 12 years old that I was called to be a pastor. 12. So for 25 years, I've known that I've been called to be a pastor. 23. And, and it, it, was, it was a crazy journey, but I did continue to ask the Lord to serve him in this way because I felt called. Do you see how my desire worked with the equipping of the Lord together to, to accomplish God's purposes? That's how that works. But maybe it's not so much a calling to do something crazy for you. Maybe you just have a a freedom from sin that you really need. And you know it's God's will for you to be free from that sin. Again, call upon the Lord and ask him continually. Keep coming to the Lord. Keep asking him. See, it's it's from God, that desire. That desire to be free from sin is from God. Do you think Satan is planning the thought, you should be free from sin? No. Do you think yourself came up with that idea? I should stop sinning. No. It is the Holy Spirit putting a desire in you. And so what's our instruction that Jesus is giving us? Come to him. Abide in him and in his word and ask. And what does he say the response is going to be? An answer. He will say yes to that, that question. Sin should not dominate the life of a believer. doesn't mean you're not going to sin but it's not going to dominate you. It won't be a lifestyle. It won't be habitual. It'll be something where you feel the conviction and then you come to the Lord and say, Lord, this is not according to your will. So I pray that your will will be done in my life. I seek you, Lord, in humility and faith. And he does this work in us. All right? It's that connection with the Lord uh, called abiding. That's what, what that looks like. When we sin, we come back to him. Abiding, you can abide and be a filthy, rotten sinner. 
In fact, you all are. But it doesn't affect abiding. We think abiding is broken when we sin, but it's not. We just come back to him. It's just a continual process of coming to him over and over and over. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Anything, he says. And, if, and we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That is a lot of confidence. Knowing that Jesus will answer everything you pray. He will say yes and amen. He will give you when it's according to his will. So how do I know God's will? Starts with his word and abiding in his word. How do I know it's according to God's will? Well, I've been abiding. I've been waiting for his will to become clear through getting to know him and his character. When you get to know someone, you can predict how they'll act or what they want. What does the cookie monster like to eat? That was a beautiful impression. Thank you. <laughs> it reminds me of your joke before service today. <laughs> it reminds me of your joke before service today. Your, well, your funny story that you had. Um, how do I know that that's according to his will? Because I've gotten to know Cookie Monster's character over the years of watching Sesame Street. All right? When I abide in God's word, I grow familiar with his character, not in my brain, but in my heart. I just know what's right. Somehow I was reading through Leviticus and it didn't make sense, but somehow the Lord ministered to my heart and I, and I somehow am closer to him. I don't know how it works, but I trust his word that it's true, that it does happen that way. And then he says that your prayers will be powerful according to his will and it'll get stuff done. Have you felt like your Christian life that doesn't get stuff done sometimes? Maybe we've been praying not necessarily out of God's will. You've been praying for God's will, but you didn't necessarily believe, like the word says, that you didn't have that confidence. And God says, if you don't believe, if you don't have that confidence, then you don't really know that I'm the one answering you. If you get, just keep getting to know my character. So God has prepared Jacob by putting this move in his heart, giving him a will, a desire to go back to the promised land. Secondly, his circumstances became unbearable. Circumstances is the second way that we can decipher God's will in our life. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, we're going we're to read a big chunk of, of Acts chapter 16, all right? And talking about circumstances being used by God to give us some direction, to show us his will. Jacob's circumstances became unbearable because Laban is a punk. And Jacob's wives aren't much better. So he had these circumstances that were just like, I got to get out of here. Have you ever had a job like that? How many of you quit a job because you were just done? Absolutely. And we know what this is like. Uh, God does not want me here. I had a telemarketing job one time. Hi, this is Sean from eterm.com. I'm calling about a life insurance quote you requested on eterm.com or one of our subsidiaries. If you have, would like more information on this life insurance quote, please call 1-800-235-8764. I still have it memorized from 10 years ago <laughs> because that's all I did for eight hours a day, five days, seven days, whatever, however long I did it for. 
I hung in there for like five weeks. Horrible. Horror. And I, and I was just, one time I was just like, God doesn't want me here, and I quit. <laughs> right? You're thinking, I'm, I'm starting to get the word. Uh, never mind. Our circumstances can become unbearable. Well, look at Acts chapter 6, because we're going to see Paul led by the Lord, but God uses circumstances. Now, we know Paul's been abiding in the word, and so his circumstances are not just random. Do you guys think random things happen to you? Think you just get in a car accident when you've had the car for five days? Nine days? You think you just get cancer? Do you think any of this just happens? No. Your circumstances are, are supremely governed by God. He is totally sovereign over those things. And so we need to know why each one of them is and what God is trying to do in our lives. Is it for repentance? Does God want you to repent about something? Maybe that is why you're going through something bad. When my kids do something bad, I give them a spanking. I hurt them, but not because I hate them. It's because I love them. I'm giving them direction. I'm giving them consequences. God can, yeah, that's why I see you back there. No laughing. (laughs) So we we know what that's like, but none of us are too happy when God is, is trying to do that in our lives, right? We're like, I don't want to repent. God, if God was a God of love, why would he blah, 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 blah? We don't like that. But God nonetheless will show us his love by saying, hey, you got, you need to change, you got something in your life. You need, a big, there's a big change that needs to happen, all right? And so there's that, or God could just be trying to move you. Maybe he does want you to have a new job. Maybe he is going to provide something else. We'll, we'll see a little bit about this here. Now, uh, Acts 16, verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia to the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So I don't know what that looked like, but as I read the rest of this chapter, I start to get an idea what it probably looked like. Probably circumstances. But they took it as the Holy Spirit is, is forbidding us. I, when I, uh, a couple years ago, I wanted to be a pastor at Calvary Aurora. I was going to Calvary Aurora. I loved Pastor Ed. I wanted to serve the Lord there with all my heart. I live like a mile away from it. I was like, this is great. Pastor Ed calls me, hey, we would like you to come be a pastor on staff. Oh, hallelujah, awesome, at the Denver campus. What? I never go to Denver. I hate Denver. (laughs) There's traffic, there's boo, I know. This was years ago, okay, this was three years ago. So I go, and I'm like, Denver? I, do, I, do, I live. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, but through the circumstances, the Holy Spirit forbid me from being a Sunday pastor over there at Aurora. He wanted me to be here. I see that now. It's very clear now. I'm very excited about it. So uh, verse 7, after they had come to Myasia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit again did not permit them. So passing by Myasia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of <coughs> excuse me, Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia to help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to him. Now, what if this was just a random dream? Ha-ha, there are no random dreams. In Paul's mind, how can that be? I eat weird stuff, and I get weird dreams. But 
In faith, when, you're, when you see the Lord in your life, when you're in the word, everything becomes real. And you see the Lord and you're just like, hey, maybe the Lord is wanting us to direct us to go to something. So I'm going to listen. And the Lord can absolutely speak to you in a dream. So, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Somothrace, and the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and uh, when she and her husband were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, now come and stay at my house. So she persuaded us. Now it happened, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl, possessed with the spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, and listen to these words, greatly annoyed. (laughs) Greatly annoyed. Turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. What is this story about? Paul being greatly annoyed. Why do you think Paul was greatly annoyed? This girl is telling the truth, but it says that she's possessed. So she's just being, she's annoying, right? And, and Paul doesn't need any of her publicity because of her reputation, who she was, and what she was filled with. The reason why she was doing it was not God's purposes. She was annoying. And Paul's like, I'm annoyed. These circumstances have become bearable, so I'm going to pray, and you're going to, I'm going to cast this demon out of you, okay? He says, I command you to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, but when her master saw that their whole prophet was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So here's the question. Did Paul do the will of God by casting out this demon? <clears throat> Because the circumstances don't get better, they get worse. He gets thrown in jail. So did he do the will of God? His circumstances became unbearable, so he said, this must be the will of God, and he did it because he was annoyed. And I think, yes, he had a desire to free this girl, so he prayed, and she was freed that very hour. That's a miracle. The Lord answered his prayer to free this girl. Now, his consequences is that he goes to jail now. Now, let's see what happens. They dragged him to the marketplace to authorities, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive and observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. So it gets even worse, Paul's circumstances. And when they had laid many stripes on them, getting even worse, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. But Paul, at midnight, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So here I see Paul is just rocking in his relationship with God right now. His commitment to the Lord, he's just 
Wherever you take me, my circumstances, Lord, you're going to lead me through my desires and the circumstances in my life. If I go to jail, I'm not complaining that I'm in jail. I'm going to sing songs of praise, and I'm going to pray to you. So his circumstances are leading him. They threw him into prison, you know, and, and the prisoners were listening to them. So Paul, he doesn't care about his circumstances. He's just continuing to minister to the Lord. He's continuing to be led in his circumstances by the Lord. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everybody's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, was about to, uh, and supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because the penalty if the jailer lost the prisoners was death anyway. So he's like, instead of me being crucified, I'm just going to kill myself. But Paul called and said with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Okay, so if I was Paul and I was being led by my circumstances, I would have said, I'm free. God wants me free. Do, 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 do. See a jailer, you're done. But no. See, Paul's been spending time with the Lord. Paul understands the Lord's heart. And Paul knows that this circumstance God's heart is for the life of that jailer, even though that jailer is the one who just threw Paul in prison. So he's led by this knowing God and seeing the circumstances in his life. So Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling for Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, if Paul was totally led by his circumstances, he would have been, that jailer would have been dead. But because Paul had God's heart and the circumstances, that jailer is now going to get saved. So he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your whole household too. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when they had brought them into the house, they set food before them and he rejoiced having believed God in God with all his household. See, the circumstances were set up by God to get his will accomplished. Now remember, this all started with a dream. And then he goes to the city and he meets this lady, a circumstance. The lady invites him to her house, another circumstance. There's an annoying girl, another circumstance. Paul's just navigating all this, just knowing God's heart. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do, but he has this desire to serve the Lord and he knows the Lord. And so he's just, in each of his circumstances, doing what he believes God would do? What would Jesus do in that circumstance? And so every, even, you know, even the annoying girls were used by God. Husbands, just remember that. <clears throat> so number one, God uses us through the desires of our heart or guides us and shows us his will through the desires of our heart. Number two, through circumstances. And finally, number three, this is our last way that we can kind of decipher this is the Lord gives personal direction to Jacob. He said, God often leads us with the same pattern. He gives us a desire. Then the circumstances in our life lead us a certain way. And then he gives us personal direction. Paul receives a vision. Jacob has the Lord actually just speak to him. I know many times I've been reading the word and had a specific, you need to do this. You need to just speak to that person. And it, was, it wasn't literally on the page, but it was God speaking to my heart. And I know that because it was according to his will.
In uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, he says, You shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. This is Paul's promise of leading us by the Holy Spirit. You shall hear a word, that's that personal direction. Again, we grow confidence in this voice of the Holy Spirit as we get to know him through abiding in the word of God. Imagine the angel or devil on Bugs Bunny's shoulders. You remember that? That's what Paul, this was basically described here in Isaiah. You're going to hear a word in your ear. And you'll know whether you're being led by the character of one doing the leading. Satan absolutely will try to deceive you and lead you astray. He'll be that other voice. He'll be on the other shoulder. And he might even be louder. But he can never be right. He can never honor God in humility and faith. But the Spirit can lead us clearly. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, Mark, excuse me, Mark chapter 13, verse 11, it says, When they arrest you and deliver you up, don't worry beforehand or premeditate on what you will speak. For whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, will come, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So how can we judge what is from the Spirit, on the Spirit side of our shoulders, or the Satan side? How do we know which one is which? 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore I make known to you that no one, speaking by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So it's the centrality and leadership of Jesus that's the issue. That's how we determine what's right and what's wrong. Um, is Jesus the focus of this? Is he the central of this? Yes? Okay, then that's the spirit, voice of the Spirit. So do it. Ask the Lord for the strength to do it and do it. Is Jesus the focus of this? The Spirit can't say, any, can't say that Jesus is wrong in any way. So that's why I have to know God's character. If, if the voice I'm hearing is saying, well, Jesus was wrong when he said that, so you really need to do this. If that is the voice that's leading me, then that's not it. The devil can't say that Jesus is right and should be trusted. So if you hear a word in your ear saying, you should trust the Lord here, that's not Satan. It never is. That's how you judge. Is it glorifying to Jesus? I really want to get a divorce. No. That's not from the Spirit, right? I really want to hate someone. Nope, that's not from the Spirit either. I, I really want to serve this little child a cup of water. Yes. I really want to look at that hot woman. No. Unless it's your wife. Yes. <laughs> I, want to, I really want to read the Word of God. Yes. So you guys are so good at knowing the will of the Lord for your life. Check this out. I really want to hear God's voice. Yes. I want to be seen by people in the church as awesome. No. I, I want to be behind the scenes and just serve people quietly. Yes. 
I want to teach God's people while under the authority of the word of God in the church. Yes, that's a great desire. I want to be a leader in the church and serve God. Yeah. I want to be a leader in the church to be seen by men. No. I want pizza. Well, that's where we get into this issue sometimes called free will. God sometimes says, you pick and I'll be with you. If you want pizza, go for it. It's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. <laughs> sometimes God gives you the freedom to make your choice and he will be with you whatever you choose. It's not direct, if it's not directly dealt with in scripture... And the Holy Spirit doesn't give you a clear word in your heart. You have the freedom to make whatever choice you want. Totally. With God's blessing. He doesn't want you to live this life of, I'm not going to do anything because I'm scared that I'm going to do the wrong thing. No. He wants you to have confidence that he's with you. How many times have we heard say God, God say, I'm with you to, to Jacob and, and even Abraham and Isaac? So many times. That's, he wants us to know that about his heart. Only don't be a slave to any of those choices. That's the key with your freedoms. Because you are free. You can make a ton of choices. Maybe it's in the house. Maybe you don't hear a word from the Lord about what house to buy. And God's like, you pick. I'll be with you in both of them. What job to take? Sometimes God says, you pick. I'm going to read three verses for you that help us understand God's heart in these free will choices that he gives us, okay? How to know the will of God in your life? Sometimes he gives you free, to, free will, and so we got to understand these three verses. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Test all things and hold fast to that which is good. Test it. What test do I run it by? The word of God, God's character, God's heart. Well, I don't know God's heart. Then read your Bible and then start testing your decisions. Okay. Secondly, Titus 2.7 says, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. So we see this word good in both of these. Test all things, hold fast to that was good. Show yourself to be a pattern of good things. Eating pizza can be a good thing. It can also not be a good thing if you have too much. 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful for me. Again, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the bondage of the power of any. So in our free will, these are these all things verses that we have in the Bible. All things, test them, make sure they're good, be a pattern of good works in your life, and don't be brought under the power of anything in your free will choices. So I have total freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set me free, but all of this freedom exists in total dependent relationship in Jesus. It only works, free will only works when you totally love Jesus. That's when it works. Where he is all that you think about, he's all that you love, and all your desire is for his life to be seen in you. That's where this freedom just abounds. And Jesus says that's the only place where you actually have freedom is knowing that I love you. Oh, so I have freedom to go have an affair. No, that's not the freedom. You have freedom to choose whatever you want in me, in me. And sin is outside of me. 
So in me, you have total freedom. Outside of me is sin. So just stay with me, and you can do anything you want to do. Love Jesus with all your heart and do whatever you want to do. How can we know God's will for our lives? By abiding in the word and then being mindful of your desires, your circumstances, and personal direction that God may be giving you. Jacob is being led by the Lord. God is directing his life, and he is free. He's free. What does he want to do? Go down to the promised land. What is he free to do? Anything he wants on the way. We're going to see God's going to really meet him on the way in a very powerful way. What time is it? 11, 12. We're going to keep going for just a minute, okay? We're going to rock through some more verses. All right. So back in Genesis chapter 31, verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock. And he said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as before. But, God, uh, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow it to hurt me. For he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages. Then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages. Then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled and gray spotted. Then the angel of the Lord spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, here I, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled and gray spotted for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the Lord God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and made you, uh, uh, made, you made a vow to me. Now arise, go get out of the land and return to the land of your father. So here we see in Jacob's life that God has been protecting him that God has been with him. And even when a wicked man does wicked things, God is still in control of Jacob's life. A lot of people use wicked people, what they do to them and the circumstances of their life to say, God's not with me. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. God is with you. He loves you. And he's been, he's been with you, whether you can see it or not. Well, here, your boss is not the most powerful, is not more powerful than God. Don't let him have more of your respect and fear than God. Psalm 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? They can fire me. I don't have to be afraid of that. He says here, I'm the God of Bethel. He means, remember where we first met Jacob. Remember when I revealed Jesus to you. Remember two weeks ago when we talked about the ladder that Jacob saw in that vision, how it was Jesus? He says, go back to that place. Like in Revelation where he says in chapter 3, return to your first love to the church of Philadelphia, right? Or Ephesus. Now, verse 14. So Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all the riches which God has taken from our father are really ours for our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. So Leah and Rachel actually agree on something. If you remember last week's study, that's a miracle. You know God's in it. If these two girls are agreeing on something, right? <laughs> verse 31, verse, or chapter 31, verse 17. Then Jacob arose and said to his sons, and his, uh, he set his sons and wives on camels, 
And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained and acquired uh, the livestock which he had gained in Padanaram to go to his father Isaac to the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. Now she either did this because she wanted to keep him from idolatry or because she was just a punk. I don't know. I lean towards the punk thing. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So Jacob fled with all that he had. So Jacob here, he acts in the flesh again. He's letting fear dictate his decisions. Uh, he could have announced his departure and gone uh, in the glory of army with banners, but uh, fear made it impossible to reap the full measure of blessing. Uh, he sneaked away into the will of God instead of going away in confidence and triumph. So the only difference between victory and, tr and um, triumph and sneaking away is fear. That's what the difference is. If he would have not had fear, if he would have not had fear and just been confident in what God had told him God's will, we're going to see later that Laban says he would have thrown him a party. But Jacob doesn't trust Laban. He's afraid of what Laban can do. Are you willing to trust God and his word for direction, or are you worried what man will do to you, what might happen to you, what your friends might think of you, what your family might think of you if you really say, I'm, uh, I feel God leading me to go this way, so I'm going to trust him? Or are you going to let fear dominate your life see it takes courage to follow the lord it really does because there's some things that are life-changing you just say i'm going to put that side of me away and i'm going to follow the lord and it can be so difficult but god says those who trust in the lord are not going to be put to shame it's a big deal so he arose and and crossed a river and headed towards the mountain of gilead which is 300 miles away He's leaving safety for danger because what's, where is he going to? Israel. Who lives in Israel? Esau. Remember his crazy Sasquatch brother? And Esau has promised to kill him. So that's where he's going. That's where faith has led him. Even his own desires, desire to be back there, even though it's dangerous. Now, verse 22, And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled, and he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey. So he marches 300 miles down to the mountains of Gilead. Verse 24, and God had, uh, But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, uh, Be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob, and Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban uh, with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? Why have you stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? And why did you flee secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs and timbrel and harp. No, Laban, you're a jerk. He would not have done that. He's lying. But, verse 28, And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Oh, now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone uh, because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? So Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. What? Jacob is telling the truth about something? This is a big deal. Jacob never tells the truth. But Jacob's been walking with the Lord for 20 years now, 
And God has begun to change Jacob's heart. Because I was afraid, I said, perhaps you will take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brother, identify what I have taken of yours and, and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So you're seeing something bad coming up, right? And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, but put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. When Jacob was then, Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass and what is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself, he's saying. You require it of, of, uh, you required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or by night. There I was, in the Day the drought consumed me, and in the frost by night, and my sheep and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. And unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, and rebuked you last night. And Laban answered and said to him, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. This flock is my flock. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do these, this day to these my daughters and to their children whom they have borne? Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let us be a witness between, let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took, took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap and they ate there on the heap. And Laban called it Jager Sahudutha. And, but Jacob called it Gilead. And Jacob said, let this, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Gilead. Also, Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. So if you go into Christian bookstores or whatever today, or sometimes like uh, Hallmark, there'll be that nec the little necklace that on one side says Mizpah. Have you ever seen that? And uh, I, I bought one once for a girlfriend I had in junior high named Dana. And it's really interesting. She's my wife now. <laughs> it's really funny because... Mitzvah, if you read the story, means I don't trust you, you dirty, rotten rat. So while we're away from each other, the Lord's going to watch you. And if you betray me, I'm gonna, he's going to get you. That's what that means. But people are like, oh, Mitzvah, the Lord watch between you and me while we are apart one from another. They take that verse out of context and they think it's like romantic. But it's really, you dirty, rotten thief, I don't trust you. You're going to go. So. If you have one of those at home, I'm totally sorry for bursting your romantic bubble. <clears throat> 
If you afflict my daughters or take other wives beside my daughters, although uh, no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. That's what he means there. So funny. Then Laban said to Jacob, here is the heap and here is the pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness and I will uh, not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap to me for harm. So he says, don't cross this line. I'll kill you. You kill me. We're done. Sad. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of the Father judge between, a God of their Father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night in that mountain. And the earth, the, and early, excuse me, in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned to his place. Wow. Laban is of the world, and Jacob needed to be freed from the world in order to wholeheartedly live with, with God. Their connection was too, too close. Laban had too much control in Jacob's life, and Jacob needed this separation. See, we are responsible to serve God alone. We do not have to have a good job. And if your well-paying job is keeping you from serving God, quit. You don't need money that bad. You need the Lord. If your boss is trying to run your life and it's getting in the way of what God has clearly called you to do, there's going to be a conflict. There is. So do that, handle that in love and the Lord will be with you. Because God desires and promises to lead you, to give you his will for your life. He sees your life and he uses the circumstances that he puts in in your life for his glory. He does it through an internal heart relationship. So we're just summarizing up today. God wants to give his will to you. He wants you to know his will for you. And he leads you through three ways. All under the word of God. He leads you by your heart. When you've been in the word, you're going to have different desires. He leads you by circumstances. No matter what they may be, he'll lead you and guide you through those. Open doors, closed doors, annoying girls, all the same. And number three, he leads you through personal direction. You can hear a word in your ear saying, this is the way, go in it. You'll get a verse you just hang upon and say, that's verse, God's leading me to do this, do that or do the other. Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. This is God's promise and God's will. God's word, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. But he doesn't. Liar. He does. I will guide you, God says, with my eye. What is he talking about there? He says, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Okay, God says there's two ways that I can lead you. You can either be a mule or you can be a waiter. What God is referencing here is when, he would, when men would sit down to dinner back in the old day, the waiter, just like today, a really good waiter, would come to them and say, how may I serve you? And he would tell them their order or whatever. They would go off, and then that waiter would tell the cook, and then he would just stand back, and he would just watch and wait. He would watch the king. He would watch the eyes of the, and, and the king, if he was a really good waiter, the king would only have to look at his drink with his eye. And that waiter would come, 
grab the drink, refill it, and serve the king again. And this is what God is saying for you. He's like, I desire to have such a gentle and masterful leading over you that I can just look at something and you say, that person needs love. I'm going to go love them. Oh, my wife, she didn't say anything, but I'm perceptive about what she needs right now. Oh, this person, I, the Lord is leading us by his eye. We're starting to learn his heart. Isn't that crazy? Or you can be a mule. How do you think you lead a mule? <laughs> Mules are very stubborn. And what is, what is his problem with the mule? He says, they, may be, they must be harnessed with bit and bridle. Does Jesus come to give us the bit and bridle of the Holy Spirit? No, the freedom. God wants you to have freedom. Not a bit and bridle and, and you know, whips and get over there and yeah, go serve, go serve the church, go... Ah, no, that's not what God wants. So don't be a mule. Be a waiter. All right? That would have been a good title too. Uh, so be a waiter, not a mule. His eye will guide us. We're done. We've spent a lot of time today in the Word of God. A whole chapter. I wanted to get through the whole thing. All right, guys. Let's, let's all stand up. Um, we're going to sing one more song. We have communion right now. Um, and as as we... Take communion. Maybe you've been uh, thinking that the Lord is leading your life and you haven't been uh, listening to him. Either because you haven't been in the word or you've treasured some part of your life that you uh, will not give up to him or that um, you don't like his direction in, in a certain area. And that's fine, except it's not. I understand that your life may be that way, but um, God desires strongly for you to be blessed and for you to be near to him. And so we're going to take communion right now. And this is Jesus's, we remember what Jesus did and all that we've talked about today about being led uh, of him is, because, is, is according to his will. And it was God's will to sacrifice Jesus for us. It was God's will to punish Jesus for our sins so that we could have this leading, so we could have this Holy Spirit. So if you need to come and and just get right with the Lord, just say a quick prayer and say, Lord, I've been wrong, and you are right, and I want to be with you today. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. And Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your word. And uh, so just come up and take communion. After you've uh, spoken with the Lord, remembered all your sin and put it at the, nailed it on the cross, nailed it on Jesus, and, and uh, then receive that new life by faith that Jesus promises. Lord, we come to you. We're so uh, thankful and appreciative of uh, you taking our sin away by Jesus' death on the cross. Lord, you actually punished him for us. You actually poured out beating and wrath upon him, the Father upon the Son, so that we could be set free, so that we could be forgiven. Lord, I pray that we would believe that with all our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead us each into your will by your word. Lord, I thank you so much for the, um, the Holy Spirit that can sometimes be difficult and, and sometimes it hurts to hear how we've been um, not walking with you or in sin, but Lord, I pray that you would bring that cleansing by Jesus' blood 
Lord, we want to receive that cleansing with all our heart by faith right now. In your name we pray. Amen.